Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right welcome to out of the blue from maize and brew part of the sb nation podcast network podcast that is less chaotic than a circus tent fire or the Twitter blue verification scheme, but more chaotic than an evening of hatchet throwing with Gary Busey. I'm Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you relentlessly self-improving belongerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for Al Borges videos. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay, sir. I am battling COVID, as you know, for the third time. So bear with me on my voice a little bit here. But, you know, I've been grinding tape in the background. I was sad to miss last week, but our fearless leader, Von Lazan, filled in effortlessly. So it's happy to be back here with you, man. Good to have you back, man, even if you're not at full strength. But rule number 67, no excuses, play like a champion. That was uh, tattooed on your forehead at birth. So I know we're going to get your best effort. Looking forward to the Andy Bailey, a.k.a. Michael Jordan flu game here. We got quite a bit to cover, man. Looking forward. So let's get into it all. Let's start with quick hits. Let's start with some basketball, which is now really ramping up. And you and I haven't gotten a chance to talk about basketball. Uh, 88 83 over Eastern Michigan the other night in a game that was way too entertaining for how scared it made me. Were you able to watch that one? 
I was able to catch a little bit here and there, uh, but one thing that just jumped out to me from like a 30,000 feet kind of view is the fact that Michigan could win a game kind of like this, scoring 88 points. I believe they only scored that or higher two or three times last year. I know there was the Nebraska games. They scored a bunch and maybe one other, but just the fact they could win a shootout at this level with the talented guards that EMU has was kind of encouraging me from, you know, from afar. Yeah, EMU has some dogs. Amani Bates might be the real thing. Uh, he probably would be taken down by a swift breeze, but as far as a score, that that cat can score the ball. And he put up 30 in that game, and they were able to withstand that. The defense was suspect, and we'll kind of get into that uh, a little bit more. But what I was really taken aback by was I said in last week's pod um, before Vaughn came on, that I think this team's going to be a really, really good shooting team. They were five from 21 from three for 23.8%. And they were 25 from 40 from free throw from the free free throw line, which if you've been following Michigan basketball for a long time is something that's been a problem in the past and something that we've bemoaned. So to see that kind of creep back up, but also, you know, that's, there's two sides to that the fact that we were able to win while not having a great shooting performance from deep or the free throw line, but also that number is something that we need to see creep up because that's going to be the bread and butter of this team is this team on offense and the shooting. Absolutely. And with the freshman like scoring reliance we have with Jet Howard, he's going to be inconsistent because that's what freshmen are. It's one of the biggest differences between underclassmen and upperclassmen. So it's still encouraging that they're getting the shots up and people have to feel the threats. They've seen what Jet can do just in limited action. So it allowed Hunter Dickinson to have a fantastic game in this one. And with the free throws, I'm with you. I mirror your concern. But one thing that was encouraging to me at the end was the way Jalen Llewellyn hit five of six down the stretch to give the Wolverines the lead and ice it late. Uh, Jalen Llewellyn, fantastic transition because I watched that entire game and he was really aggressive towards the end. And I found myself thinking like, hey, this is great. I'm really glad you're doing this. But he was also like out of control at times and the fouls were like really inconsistent the officiating in this game was bad so he got lucky towards the end to end up with 12 points he was eight for 12 from the free throw line oh from three from three point line two from seven from the field he was not good in this game and wasn't doing a lot defensively nobody was so i actually like the Jalen llewellyn game i was kind of taken aback by and i was like oh i was i was stumping for this guy as perhaps the best point guard we've had in the juan howard era does not look like that yet. I do think a point that you made about the youth of this team sh is well taken and should be mentioned that this might take a minute and I would be, I am a betting man. So I will bet that this team's going to look better after 15 games played together than they do right now, especially on the defensive end. But I was a little concerned with Jalen Lewin. I thought he would come in and just kind of be a tone setter and be the steadying presence and a guy that could go get you a bucket. I didn't really see that he's going to be a huge bucket getter and he didn't have great command of the offense, but that could be due to all the youth out there and no use of Kayat yet. Yeah. Jury is still going to be out on Jalen Lewin. And, but again, I, I like the way he closed the game aggressively and got to the line without fear. Like even if he was, you know, um, getting bailed out with some foul calls, he still stepped up to the line on a cold shooting night and knocked down some things in the clutch. And that could be really big moving forward, especially as the rest of his game develops within the system. And another player I want to touch on right now is Terry two, six Terrence Williams, the second, he was fantastic late. And I love that his post game press conference, he said, uh, 
Coach Howard told me to get on Imani Bates late and had to go over there and cut his water off. And that is now my new favorite saying, and that is exactly what he did defensively when this team needed it. And it's good to know that he can provide that kind of diverse wing defender that Michigan will need in the tournament. Cooler quote, uh, that quote from Terry Two Sticks or the Junior Colson. I need to see the light go out of their eyes. What do you got for the coldest quote so far of 2022? It has to be Junior Colson just because he said it so nonchalantly. And Junior's kind of like a really upbeat guy, kind of very, very youthful, very charismatic. And he's just like, yeah, I want to see the light go out in his eyes. And you're like, oh, my God, you're a psychopath. I love you. So it's got to be Junior by nose. Right. When he say that says that, it's like when you hear Jeffrey Dahmer being like, yes, I really enjoy the taste of liver. And you're like, oh, oh. Like you, you mean that Like this, you're, you're an absolute psychopath. I agree. I'm going to give it to junior Colson, but it's tight. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch, uh, as well. Hunter Dickinson had 31 and seven in this one. Didn't have his best game either. 31, seven and felt like he left a lot on the table. Could have been a little bit more aggressive. Um, especially with some of the space that he had, it was a weirdly officiated game. I'm not going to take too much away from it. Eastern Michigan was a weird opponent. They have a really, really good scoring wing. And right now we do not have wing defense. We have wings that I think can be great scorers, uh, but without Kyat on the floor, I still cannot find anything on the internet about when we expect to see him. Um, but playing Jet Howard a lot, playing a lot of Buffkin, um, Doug McDaniel saw a lot of time in this, Terrace Reed. These guys have not played a lot of minutes in college basketball. So this is going to take a minute. I am like if you had to ask me something that down the road I'm concerned with, and maybe Kyat erases this, is how are we going to defend on the wings? There's a lot of a lot of good ones in the Big Ten this year, and uh, I we can't really expect Jace Howard to do that as like a one-on-one wing defender. Can expect him to improve on team defense, but Joey Baker is not going to be that guy. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. Um, so. <laughs> He's just not Buffkin has some encouraging things on defense. He's just so young. So can we string together competent enough defense to let this offense shine, I guess would be like the one thing I'm keeping an eye on early in the season. And honestly, this could be like a surprising good test for the team on the wing because if Imani Bates is going to have, you know, this type of season, we'll see as the year progresses. But this could be a nice early test against one of the more preeminent scores in all of college basketball. Like, again, a lot remains to be seen in that because we saw Imani Bates last year. We saw him this year. So we could see if this test kind of propels them forward and gives them competence against uh, – less talented wing scores because Bates could be one of the best of the best, even if he is, you know, kind of playing on parole as you joked on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on. Obviously he was able to get out of County lockup in time for the game, but uh, yeah, Amani Bates has had a, a troubled, troubled career. So actually like, I, I hope he can just get back to playing basketball and it was good to see him go off. I mean, there was talk that he might end up on Michigan. So I mean, if you were doing that for Michigan, you're not going to hear me complain. But uh, they've got Pittsburgh tomorrow night, which would be Wednesday night. We're recording this on a Tuesday, so we will not be covering that one. Uh, that's going to be like the first real litmus test where you can kind of compare these guys and be like, all right, where are we at? Going to have a lot better idea about that team. But I, I'm going to go ahead and make another prognostication that this team is going to be a very like hot and cold kind of team when they're on and Baker and Jet Howard are raining threes from NBA range it's going to seem overwhelming and then there's going to be nights where you've got to find other ways to grind it out and like they did against Eastern Michigan with Hunter Dickinson and Terry Terrence Williams so uh, when they're hot though it, you're going to see nights where this team just bombs you from deep so 
just stay tuned. It's coming. Uh, next quick hit. Cade McNamara did undergo successful knee surgery the other day. He is officially out for the season. We kind of assumed that, but hadn't really heard anything and didn't know it was going to be season ending at the time. So obviously wishing for a speedy recovery for Cade McNamara. What this means for his time at Michigan, we have no idea. Remains to be seen. Still a captain there, which is kind of just this weird elephant in the room type of thing. I don't know how that's handled internally. That's got to be kind of strange. But what do you think this means for Cade McNamara's future at Michigan? Well, I think he's played his last game. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sad to see him go, but that's just the nature of the beast. I wish Cade literally nothing but the best. And speaking of players, we have seen nothing but the best from Oliver Martin. We got an Oliver Martin sighting this past weekend in Nebraska. Glad to see him still cashing those tuition checks. Uh, but as far as Cade's concerned, I think he's going to do a hell of a job wherever he goes next year. He's going to bring leadership, maturity, and just an overall presence to any locker room he steps foot in next season. And I can't think of it enough for what he did to Michigan. He'll be remembered in Michigan. He should never have to buy a beer in Ann Arbor or the greater Ann Arbor area, as far as Detroit, at least, I would say. So let's let's make sure that that's a thing. And yeah, just wish him well wherever he goes. You have a place that you might like to see him end up that you think he could be a good fit, have some success and not really mess with anything that we got going on. Um, it would be interesting to see him go. He's from Nevada originally to see him go back to maybe Arizona, pair up with Jed Fish, a West Coast school like Washington. Once Michael Penix leaves after this year, I think he could have a lot of success. And again, bring that leadership and those intangibles to a locker room. That was my exact pick until I, like a sicko, stayed up watching Arizona-UCLA, the late game, which goes on at like two in the morning, East Coast time. And uh, Jed Fish with a huge win against one loss UCLA team who still had a path to the playoff and he found a quarterback there. He's got a dude in Arizona. So uh, if I wouldn't have watched that, I would have said, yeah, that's the move. I was thinking like Wake Forest. There's been some successful Michigan to Wake Forests and vice versa. So something like that. Um, Iowa, we don't play Iowa next year. Iowa could certainly use uh, three or four quarterbacks <laughs> and just fire everything they have on the roster into the moon. So yeah, I mean, he'll end up somewhere. That's for sure. He should be a starting quarterback in college, and he's going to have a lot of years of eligibility. I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that he could like be the quarterback for like three or four more seasons. So theoretically, he could stick around and wait until JJ goes and then like be the successor to JJ after all this time. That'd be a wild twist. <laughs> he waits around to be the one who was usurped and then becomes a successor. I mean, Usurper. that is like Shakespearean level writing. That's amazing. But then, yeah, if there's probably Jaden Davis coming in. I don't see it. I think you're probably right. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be a, a transfer as well. Uh, sir, if you've got it in you, why don't you spit on hockey for a moment? Uh, yes, it was a um, very up and down weekend again for the hockey team. Played uh, Notre Dame. And if fans remember last season, Notre Dame swept us in both home series, a home and away series last year, the regular season. We finally got them in the Big Ten tournament semis. Uh, you can beat us four times in a row, but not five, damn it. So uh, this past weekend, we played them in a road series in South Bend where they were previously undefeated. Michigan took game one emphatically five to one. It's one of the most impressive performances of the year. Uh, in the second game, Michigan came out, went up 2-0, and now it's kind of like a rule of thumb that if Michigan's up 2 they're going to blow the lead because it's the third or fourth time they've done it this season. 
blew the lead, went to overtime, suffered their first overtime loss of the year. They were two and zero coming into that game. Uh, so you get a season, you get a series split there for the one in South Bend. But now all eyes are turned to Ann Arbor this coming weekend. You have Minnesota and Michigan, two games Thursday and Friday. Number two Minnesota, number three Michigan to really get an early stranglehold on the Big Ten because last year Minnesota won the regular season title. Michigan won the Big Ten tournament title. We beat them to win the Big Ten tournament title. And then both these teams were frozen four finalists, but both left on the outside looking in when it came time to the national championship. So two teams with national championship aspirations, revenge on their mind. It's must-watch television on Thursday and Friday. Give me a different sport comp that non-hockey fans would understand for this current Michigan versus Minnesota situation going on in the Big Ten. Uh, th- uh, this is very easy. Like, um, so think of the final four last year in college football. Think of the two teams that lost. It would be like if Michigan and Cincinnati, if Cincinnati were elite again and were at the top of their conference in the top 10 and you were playing this early on in the year, it would be like that. Both teams determined to get back on the right foot, determined to get back in the playoff, going at it once more. I like it. All right, sir. Versus Nebraska. You were with family with this one. And is that correct? Or you had moved on from family? You know what? No one cares. Let's just actually talk about the game, which was 34 to three. This was, I think everyone kind of agrees with our consensus on this one, that it was like boring excellence. It was a game that never felt in any way like Michigan was going to lose it. It was a game that we all really wanted to see a lot more. And maybe you left this feeling like slightly underwhelmed. But at the end of the day, we covered the spread, the largest spread that Nebraska Cornhuskers have ever had. Blake Corum probably keeps pole position in the Heisman race. The defense moves up to number one in pretty much every statistical category. You and I are really having a hard time criticizing these things. I know that we're that's what we're supposed to do. It's a podcast. We need to have content, but I'm not one that's like, oh, boring win. Let's, you know, let's lament the passing game. What are your thoughts on that 34 to 3 win at home last week against Nebraska? You and I were texting during this, and we haven't felt this confident in a regular season Michigan team since 2016, when we're just like, eh, we're kind of going slow right now. We're gonna figure it out. Oh. They had a first down. Good for them. We're going to batten down the hatches now. Like there's just a confidence and a belief that, you know, no matter what, there's going to be adjustments. There's going to be just a return to dominance in any kind of capacity, any type, any kind of positive play is relented to the opposition. No, um, I'd like to, I'd like to start on the offense. This this week, uh, Nebraska was rotating safeties down into the box. They would stack it with nine, sometimes uh, borderline 10 right there to bring the safety downhill. And Michigan was just eating them up. Like Nebraska did a great job not giving up the big play, but Corum was just churning them out over and over again. And in his post game was talking about, uh, you know, I don't care about carries. I want 30 every game. Hell, give me 40. And was just asking for more and more work. And it is just something to watch this team run the football because it has not happened, like I said, statistically since the early 90s. So nothing we can really remember. And it, it, it's honestly just like watching a master at work, the way this offense runs at times. I kind of remember some of the teams that operated like this. So, I mean, I can go back. This is Mike Hart-esque. 
Um, I kind of remember Anthony Thomas. I was very young, but I kind of remember the A-Train. So I can hearken back to an era when this was the kind of dominance that you expected on the ground. But it's been a long, long time, and it's like a distant memory at this point. So I'm with you. It's like watching something from... You know, if if they when they remade Once Upon a Time and or excuse me, when Quentin Tarantino made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it felt like they were remaking a much older movie just with modern technology. This feels like we've recreated something from the past in this dominant rushing offense that's done with way more complicated schemes uh, than they used back in 1939 when they ran the wing T and stuff like that. But nonetheless, the level of dominance feels like you've harkened back to that different era and i for i enjoy watching it now could there be more downfield stuff to make us more variable obviously yes i mean jj with eight of 17 for 129 but two touchdowns on this efficient certainly not like explosive certainly not gonna like pop your eyes off when you look at that it's it's whatever but he kept us once again on schedule no turnovers i absolutely love that and the offense at this point it is what it is. Like we keep waiting for these shots down the field. You mentioned something really, really intelligent, both during the game and off air that like, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're not connecting with them. The fact that you keep taking them is going to keep them honest. Now I'll push back a little bit and think you need to connect with them every now and again, or else maybe the better teams won't necessarily, you know, fall into your trap there. But you're right in a sense that because the running game is so effective and is so old school and is so dominant that you're forced to pay attention to those deep shots and you can't just let Andrew Anthony streak down the side of the field wide open. No, and just from a historical perspective, that 06 team was averaging 175 rushing and 195 passing. This team is averaging 250 rushing and 208 passing. Like, although the passing offense is still not caught up to where it needs to be, the intermediate shots, all the play-action ones are keeping in the bag. I believe they only ran about five in this game, and most of them were connections. You think back to the beautiful red zone design of Ronnie Bell where they caught that safety che uh, cheating down into the box. You think about the Colston Loveland down the seam. It's just it's so crazy to watch a team like this win 34 to three and the offense have a lot of success, especially running the ball and still have such a high ceiling to reach for. Yeah. JJ under 50% in this one doesn't concern me because of how many shots they took down the field. How many of those were like, Hey, we really need to get this deep ball going. Uh, once again, it felt like very intentional, like, Hey, we need to get this established just so we can say we have this like in our bag moving down the stretch, both for Illinois and for Ohio State. So you and I both liked that they were being very intentional about that, making an attempt to get the ball down the field. Clearly, it's on everybody's mind. JJ's getting asked about it a lot. The plus 20 yards downfield stats are pretty bad. I think it's like two all season where it's like the the completion was further than or maybe it's 25 yards. I don't have those stats in front of me, but it's really not great. So like I will be critical where criticism is due like that does need to get better and I think we're all just hoping like oh it'll it'll get there we're in the last two games of the season and Illinois you know we're going to break that down the second half of that so I don't want to step on that too much but it's not necessarily the best team to test down the field this Nebraska team was so that was your opportunity and not getting those deep shots is like it, it is a bit of a bummer because this thing's over really quickly and um 
you know, if they had Purdy, the quarterback that went out, I think this thing would have been a lot closer. And if we're not hitting those deep shots, maybe we're having a different conversation right now. Like maybe that Purdy kid is able to make it. They're able to put 13, 14 points on the board or whatever. And our conversation now is like, we're a little more nervous because that kid was moving the ball. So I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but the deep shots down the field is still a thing. I'm not just going to write it off as nothing because it's keeping the defense honest. Yeah, you were you were losing me for a second when you said if Purdy stays in the game, it's going to be a lot closer. I was like, Jared, for the love of God, a lot. And then you said 13, 14. I'm like, okay, that's much better. I was like, don't you a lot closer? What are we doing here? Um, no, it is a, a legitimate concern. And like I said, like I talked about, like just having the threat of it is a good thing. But you do ha- you do have to connect on at least one or two of these. We've seen it in the play action, like not the traditional deep shot, especially against Penn State. But we had one like 30 yards through the air, just like on the money to CJ. So you're right. They, they have to hit one. And if you're going to pick apart this offense, which you are doing, we are 100% picking nits with this thing because you have to. It is the down the field shots that are going to like open things up. And it's honestly kind of like three-point shooting for the basketball team. Like you got to be able to make some threes to clear up the paint for Hunter Dickinson. This offense has to just hit some deep shots to clear up the paint for Blake Corb, for Donovan Edwards, and CJ Stokes. Welcome back from the doghouse, my friend. For those guys in the middle so they can work their magic because, as we know, under Jim Harbaugh, Michigan is 36-0 and with a 100-yard rusher, 35-0 and with a 100-yard rusher with fans in attendance. So that could be very crucial here this week and especially next week. Your uh, Hunter Dickinson three-point shooter analogy is a direct one-to-one comparison. It's absolutely correct. What would Blake Corum have rushed for in this if we hit two of those deep shots and we were gashing them down the field? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would help Blake Corum, too, if we can get this going. It's going to just crank his numbers up because he, once again, 28 carries in this one. Donovan Edwards with only two. He gets a little bit banged up in this one. Uh, But you mentioned Stokes and Tavi Dunlap, and I wanted to give them at least a little bit of room to breathe here because eight carries for C.J. Stokes for 68 yards on 8.5 per carry. Grant, this is late in the game. They're really worn down. But I mean, actually, no, he was worked in pretty early in the game. Some of his carries were a little bit earlier because Edwards went out. So you're absolutely right. Like CJ Stokes deserves some props here, maybe even a uh, like a, an honorary game ball because comes out of the doghouse after that fumble. And we really need him now. Like we mentioned this long time ago we're saying off season about we were worried about Corum and Edwards as a tandem because like how do they hold up well Corum's held up way better than we ever could have expected but his workload's been more than we anticipated it would be so getting Stokes and Tavi Dunlap to both emerge if like we can rest Donovan Edwards against Illinois and give Blake Corum 22 carries against Illinois instead of 28 that's helping immensely. So really great to see both of those guys start to get going against Nebraska. Yeah, and you saw what Corum's wear and tear did to that Nebraska defense late in the second half. Like, those guys were looking towards the bus. Like, the holes for Stokes late in the game were massive. Like, they just, the body blows. They wear on you all throughout the game. And all despite the fact that this game was out of hand, like, you could just see the defense just completely just disinterested in, like, stopping another run play coming their way. And a few weeks ago, you and I talked about two areas on offense they really need to clean up. And it was red zone. It was deep shots. The red zone has been spectacular. They've done a hell of a lot better with just creativity, design, using the full depth of the end zone. And now if they can have the deep shots cleaned up, this offense is going to be as good as we've ever seen at Michigan. 
I'm with you, man. Can't wait. We've got a discussion coming up. I don't want to touch on. We're going to compare them here. Uh, last thing I want to mention on offense, and I'm surprised you didn't bring this up because this was one of your guys that you called early on. And now we've both hit on our guy because I was a Mason Graham guy. You were a Loveland guy. Colson Loveland's going to be a dude My son. at Michigan. That is your that is your very large seven foot tall son. I don't know how good this guy is going to be. But with the track record of tight ends at Michigan, I mean, freaking Sean McEwen's still in the NFL. And if Colston Loveland's making fingertip grabs as a freshman at his size, like, hang on now. Yeah, this I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up because it was an oversight on my part. I've, I've been on the Colston Loveland train ever since I watched this high school tape, even before he committed uh, out of Idaho, the pride of Idaho is just incredible. Somebody called him Spud, which I think is a phenomenal nickname because of the potatoes in Idaho. And yeah, man, just a really good coming out party for him, filling in for Luke Schoonmaker. He's always been just an animal blocking, and now he's really progressing as a pass catcher as well. And this team needs a pass catcher to really emerge, to like be a star or be the next star. And he's doing that because you remember Eric All in 2019 as a freshman was worked in there primarily as a blocker, very little bit as a receiver. So you have to go back to maybe like Jake Butt to see a tight end use this much at early on in their career. And it's partially due to injury, but also partially due to how talented he really is. Yeah, very much next up man mentality going on. But this next man up happens to be an absolute monster of a man, even for being 18 years old. And love what you said there. Like, we need a pass catcher. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Like, Donovan Edwards could be that. Need him to get healthy. It doesn't necessarily have to be a receiver that steps up. Our receivers are who we have on the roster. But a guy like Colston Loveland could make a leap. Edwards could be used as that receiver. So getting those guys into the mix. That, that excites me late in the season. Uh, all right, we just went really long on the offense. Let's move over to the defense where we allowed 146 yards on Saturday. It's the second time this year it's given up under our defense has given up under 150 total yards. Uh, the team had just 43 yards in the last two quarters as Michigan's held its opponents scoreless second half of the fourth time in the past five games. Like now the accolades, I, I have a bunch of them written down here. I'm not even going to list them all off because I could just go off for 20 minutes on what this defense is doing in the second half of games. And in this one, like I mentioned, they lose Purdy and he was actually giving us kind of a fun test. I was like, oh, this is good. This is a great warm up for Stroud. He goes out and this thing was over. And I think that's when people were kind of like, all right, this is a little dull. We're just going to run for nine yards a carry or 7.5 yards a carry and end this thing. Um, but what were your overall thoughts on the defense? I mean, just firstly, hurdle Mikey Sainer still at your own risk. You might end up getting power bombed by DJ Turner by the end of it. <laughs> Good God. And it was, uh, it was, it's what we come to expect from the defense. Like they're, I mean, DJ Turner is going to give up one or two just deep shots every game. I mean, that is just what you have to accept. And we can, well, I mean, we'll pontificate on that next week with what that means for Ohio State. But the rest of the secondary and the defense has just been incredible. Like Rod Moore is a tackling machine in the secondary. He is always maneuvering people, getting him in the right position. The pass rush emerges when it needs to. Sometimes a Yabioki freelances just a little too much for me and gives up those rushing lanes. That's why Purdy had success early on. Colson's a dog. Mozzie Smith, Mike Morris. I mean, you could go on for days. Will Johnson is just going to be the, like, the next coming of Christ at cornerback, it appears, with how well he's playing already. So I can't say enough good things, man, but I want to bring it all the way back to your boy, the catalyst of chaos, 
this defense moves as Mozzie Smith moves. Great place to leave it and a fine place for me to start. Mozzie Smith, It don't expect the numbers. We were talking on the NFL prospects pod last week. Like He's just not going to have them, and that's completely fine because if you're watching the tape, you're like, this dude is stronger than everyone else around him. Uh, Maurice Hurst was better at penetrating. This guy is better at shutting up run lanes. Anthony Grant was averaging 95 yards a game coming into this. He had 22 yards on 11 carries. And yeah, he was the one that got launched in the air like he came out of a trebuchet. I cannot believe that play. That was that was absolutely vicious and popped right up after it. So kudos to him. Uh, you had Mason Graham and Colson getting sacks in this one. Colson is just a force. Um, I feel like we don't talk about him because once somebody gets so good, it's like Corum. You're just like, yeah, Corum 167, two touchdowns. Yep, that's what we get. Uh, Colson's kind of just in that lane now where you just expect excellence. So uh, take a moment to just appreciate what we got going on with him. Uh, yeah, DJ Turner. Uh, uh, no. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to talk about him. Uh, I think I want Jamon Green on Marvin Harrison is all I'm going to say. We're not getting there yet. That's a different pod. But uh, DJ Turner is just going to give up. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Expect him to give up a 50-50 ball at some point every time this year. Uh, safeties, once again, great. I love everything that Rod Moore does and would adopt him should he need it. And <laughs> yeah, I agree with your point about uh, Ayabi Oki as well. Mike Morris prayers up man it sounds like it's just a tweak tweaked ankle so he should be back but that is a guy that we need because Jalen Harrell we haven't when's the last time we mentioned Jalen Harrell as an ascending player has it been like five or six weeks (laughs) it's been it's been a well he was out for Rutgers prior to that but the week before he played really well especially in run defense but it feels like it feels like he needs a moment here yeah, yeah, he needs a moment, especially this week where Mike Morris, we need him for Ohio State, could get away without him this week with some type of Braden McGregor, Yabioki patchwork. So, yeah, that's that's definitely what I'm watching. But overall, man, like three points, absolute domination. It just felt kind of cheap once Purdy went out. Like, I honestly wanted our defense to get tested against a slightly mobile quarterback that could do some stuff outside of the pocket, that could kind of escape. Uh, could kind of push the ball down to the f- down the field, and it's a the most champagne problem I think a human can possibly have. Like I want us to be tested a little more because we're too dominant, but that's that's what I was feeling in that game. This this defense, man, I can't say enough good things about Jesse Mentor. How this defense is so different than last year. They run a lot more exotic coverages and blitzes and moving guys around. And I really think this will pay dividends against the passing offense in two weeks. And coming in this week, they have a, a completely different test. So we're gonna really gonna see both sides of what they can do and really test the versatility because Illinois is one of the top rushing teams in the country. Chase Brown, the leading rusher right now in all of college football. And I don't know if you heard Mike Morris on John Jansen last night, but uh, he says all things are trending upward, and he was he was giddy, like he was like audibly like getting excited talking about what if we stop the run of Illinois so much and Blake Corum just has one of his days and we put him first in the country in rushing and propel that Heisman push going into Columbus and that kind of team like on team support oh mentality really got me excited. That is so awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. One uh, one man to levitate the whole team. I'm so here for that. Um, all right, let's take a quick sponsor break. We've got a pretty meaty segment we got to get into right after this. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. 
This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to Manscaped. And the reason I need to give thanks is for the confidence that they've given me with their new Platinum Package. We're talking about irrational confidence. The Performance Package 4.0 gives you the confidence to stand up and declare sometime in between the candied yams and the mashed potatoes and gravy and declare to your in-laws that you've never had a better shape to your bush. You've never had a more aerodynamic situation in your nether regions. It's a logical confidence, and that's what Manscaped can offer to you. Trim your pumpkins by going to manscaped.com and use the code MNB20 for free shipping and 20% off at checkout. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, you need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve. And that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0. With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect Your Delicate Parts, Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, sir, coming back. The impetus of this next segment comes from you and your article over on mazenbrew.com. What a great website. Go check it out. Uh, where you were comparing this team, not to the 2016 team, not to the 2018 team, which is what we've done in the past, uh, not even to the 2021 team. You compared them to the 2006 and 1997 teams. And I thought that was fascinating. And it's bold, obviously. And, uh, you know, we'll discuss like what that criteria was. But I thought that that was the correct comparison for a couple of reasons. But before we get into those reasons, let us first put a disclaimer on this and have a discussion about comparing eras. So we're going back to 1997 here for this discussion, no further. So it's not like we're going back to 1936 and for men that fought in the big war. We're going back to 1997 (laughs) here. So. What are your thoughts on comparing eras? Can you make a direct corollary? How much leeway do we need to allow for the different eras? So it's very difficult to compare eras. And I garnered a lot of my era comparison arguments from uh, Bill Simmons, the book of basketball, because he would compare players from the 1950s to modern day players. And he would do it based on dominance in said era. So that's kind of how I was looking at it. I wasn't going to think about like, Charles Woodson going against this player or how their defense would line up to stop uh, the current team's rushing attack. I was just looking at dominance right now. And the impetus for this was because Michigan is so just routinely dominant at this point, it's becoming dull. And I wanted to point out times with like the 2006 team when they needed a last minute stand to stop a three win ball state team late in the year for their 10th win or how 1997's team needed the comeback against Iowa at home an Iowa team that went seven and five or the Notre Dame team that went seven and six and they couldn't score in the fourth quarter to ice it away and only one by one touchdown. So although you can't make direct comparisons, you can compare dominance in each era. 
you can. I, I think that there can be some corollaries made. You can't draw direct comparisons, especially when you go back to 1997. But when we're talking about the dominance of this year, and that was the impetus for this, was basically the easiest way we came up with these teams is teams that were able to start 10 and 0. Uh, you know, there's a very good chance we go 11 or no, we're certainly not counting that Illinois victory. Uh, we'll get to that in the second half of this thing, but that's why we're kind of thinking there's a very good chance. This is 11 or no team getting to where the 2006 team got getting to where the 1997 team got getting the 2021 team could not do that. Falling to Michigan state a little bit earlier, the 2016 team, uh, falls late in the season to Iowa. So we're kind of in rarefied air here. So uh, the 19 or the, excuse me, the 2006 team goes 11 and two, seven and one in the big 10, obviously the game of the century, you lose that to Ohio state. Uh, but that, that season there versus the 1997 season is extremely interesting to compare because something clearly happened between 1997 and 2006. When you look at these statistics and just what the offenses were doing versus yeah, what the defenses were doing. And then just a couple years later, things completely shifted. So that has to be taken into account when we're comparing particularly the 1997 to anything beyond that. Yeah. When you go back and watch the 97 tape, a lot of times you'll be like, what is this? Like the offensive set, like you'll see obviously like lack of motion or just innovation because it's, it's a younger time as it should be. And it's like watching Woodson play so much both ways and be so good. Like that is one thing I will say, like Charles Woodson is such a one of one on both of these tapes, watching what he does defensively and offensively on drives to like spark the team when they need it, come up with the big play, just always, always good, but also always very timely. All right. So I have absolutely no way or knowing how I want to do this. I have nothing written in the doc. I just have a million stats here. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a conversation. This is what we do best. So of these three, 2006, 2020, 2022, and 1997, on paper, just looking at the, the guys that are on that team, who do you think has the best team based on what we know right now? And that does put this current team at a bit of a disadvantage because Mike Morris could go on to lead the NFL in sacks for 10 years. Um, but try and gauge that. Like, which roster do you look at top to bottom and you think, oh, yeah, that they had the best one? Oh, I think it's 2006. Oh, I'm I mean, with I, you. I'm with you. Especially when you look at, like, yeah, when you look at key positions like left tackle, receiver, quarterback, uh, all the defensive talent, uh, they really should have beaten that Ohio State team. When you rewatch that game, it's very frustrating at certain points. And we could also we could talk about coaching and go into that. But uh, pure roster talent, I think it's 06 and kind of in a runaway. Pure roster talent, I totally agree. I'm surprised. I thought I was going to have to argue that one. So the 06 team uh, goes undefeated, like we said, all the way up to Ohio State. That was the game of the century. Only one ranked win uh, team that was ranked at the end of the season that ended up being number two Notre Dame on the road, but they destroyed them that year. 47, 21 Lamar Woodley was dominant. I remember that particular game uh, and then lost versus USC 18 to 32 and a heartbreaker in the Rose bowl. So ended up being a disappointing season, but pound for pound. I think I agree with you. That was the most talented team. All right, then my next question, if you were to line all these teams up and play some type of however you would do it tournament, who do you think wins on the field? 
That one gets very tough because one thing I really like about the current team, uh, and I mean, no disrespect to like Lloyd Carr and them, but I really just, I think Jim Harbaugh is a superior coach. And I think we have superior coaches in place now, especially with how modern football is. So I think that really gives this team an advantage. I can't say a lot yet. I need to see the Ohio State game is going to carry a lot of weight. If this team goes 12-0 and and starts off the year like that, then I'm going to put them above all. But this team has a lot of bones similar to the 97 team, where 97 was such a strange team with no 1,000-yard rusher, no receivers over 500 yards. Obviously, Michigan has the big check mark on the 1,000-yard rusher this year already, but it felt like there's – uh, not a lot of stars around on the 97 team. Like Charles Woodson had such gravitas, rightfully so. He won the Heisman Trophy and just really sucked up a lot of the air that a lot of the other guys went under the radar, like the Ty Streets, the Chris Howards of the world. And I really feel like that's the same way like the Michigan defense is this year, where it's like you have a few guys getting some notoriety, but it's such the no-star mentality that it's like when you look back, we're going to be like, Oh, yeah, Mikey Sainer still played really well that year. Oh, yeah, Rod Moore. I love that guy. It's one of those types of defenses. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you're going to look back and be like, yeah, that was that was pretty solid. I don't know how many of these guys are going to turn into bona fide NFL stars, but some of my favorite stats when looking at the 1997 team, uh, their rushing yards for the entire season, 12 games, 2,459. But we've already surpassed that. We have at least three games left to go. So we've already outrushed the 1997 team. That was a crazy stat. Uh, we Their passing yards, they had 2,464. So we'll likely surpass their passing yards, even with JJ's rather moderate outputs. Uh, needs, needs a little bit. We'll see about that one. Might not get to their passing yardage. Uh, but this stat was the one that absolutely blew me away. You couldn't believe this one. So Michigan currently in red zone efficiency. We have had 55 attempts this year. We've had 52 scores, 95%. Basically, we have the fifth percent uh, best percentage of red zone conversion for 2022. <clears throat> in 2006, I think we had 47 red zone attempts. So you get kind of the idea of what a regular year should be for red zone attempts. This is verified by the Michigan University website. The 1997 season, they had six attempts in the red zone all season. <laughs> six. <laughs> and only scored two touchdowns in the six attempts. So you think if red zone efficiency was lackluster this year, just look back to the national championship team. Good God, what if Twitter existed then? Because people were like bemoaning the offense against Nebraska. Can you imagine if we had been in the red zone six times? Like that is that is sparse. That is a red zone desert. It is such a weird stat, man. Like you look through the '97 stats, like just on paper, and as we know, like stats obviously don't tell the whole story. Clearly, you would see these numbers. You'd be like, okay, this team went eight and four, and then it's like you know, good defense. You know, offense was more than serviceable, but you know, right around there, probably dropped a game or two. It's like no, undefeated national champion. It's absolutely insane, man. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into this a little bit more. Look around the college football playoff landscape, and then we're going to break down Illinois. Chance to go 11 and 0. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
All right, all right, all right. We're coming back and didn't quite get to finish up all of our points on this conversation that was brought up by you in your article over on amazingbrew.com. What an amazing website. Comparing this team not to the 2021 team, which would kind of be a fruitless exercise being as how it's they're so closely tied together. There's a lot of the same players, but you compared it to the 97 and the 2006 team, which we've kind of been going back and forth, just having a general conversation about. Obviously, so much of this is going to come down to Ohio State. But what I wanted to pose to you is if Michigan loses out, let's go absolute worst case scenario. This thing falls off of a cliff. Then what kind of season are you comparing this to? Is it the 2016? Is it the 18? Uh, do you need to go back even further? Is it a bigger disappointment for how good we looked and then how far we fell? So what happens if the bottom falls out? If the bottom falls out, then it just falls into that tier of like recent disappointing teams. You think back to 2018 after winning 10 in a row, they fall just in complete flat fashion in Columbus. You look at 2016, lost two of their last three games. You look at even the 2019 team, they couldn't, they, they couldn't even get the 10 wins. So you just kind of fall into obscurity. And it's really it's, – it's such a weird place to be in right now because you can like – you can be immortal. You can go undefeated. You can get to the game of the century. Or the bottom falls out and you're like, man, that team was so good. We just didn't have enough at the end. It's such – it's so just feast or famine here. Everything's relying on the Ohio State game, but a lot's relying on the Illinois game as well. Say we win the Illinois game, but drop the Ohio State game. That that pretty much puts us exactly where the 2006 team would have been. So say that scenario plays out, that would probably put us in the Rose Bowl. I do not think we could lose to Ohio State and still get in because Tennessee would need to take another loss. So where would that put the team in that scenario? How would you rank this season? Is that still a successful season in your mind? Uh, we'll get into the CFP talk because I definitely think there's a world where Michigan could have an argument in, um, especially the way things could shake up here. But yeah, I think the Rose Bowl is still a very successful season. Like I'm not going to like look at 11 and one and just scoff at it. Like when the chance could be, Hey, you're going to go to the Rose Bowl and play USC. That is just such a, historic matchup the Rose Bowl lore is not lost on me at all like uh, while I think some bowls are just kind of like you know um just here here's your prize for playing kind of games I think the Rose Bowl is such a reward there's so much history there I always think of Keith Jackson bringing in the audience at five o'clock on New Year's Day so no that is still a very good season Absolutely. And if you were to fall in the Rose Bowl, that means you've pretty much exactly recreated the 2006 season, but it would be awesome to be there. And a Rose Bowl win is an awesome year. We would be a little bit disappointed, I think, as a fan base, because there would be such an argument that our only loss is to the number two team and we had to go into their house. And you and I both think this game does not get out of hand. I don't see a blowout. This is not a Don Brown coach defense. So I don't think a blowout's in the cards. So that would be tough to stomach, but I agree with you that that would still be an awesome season. Go to the Rose Bowl, find a way to beat USC or Oregon or whoever we end up facing in the Rose Bowl would still be great. Um, but to beat the 1997 team, I think all you need to do is beat Ohio State. And here's my argument. You look at the 1997 run, We've discussed some of the ineptitudes on offense. They were in the red zone six times. 
they beat Washington State and Ohio State were basically the two wins that got them the national championship. Uh, undefeated up to that point. Best win coming into that was Notre Dame early in the season, which we mentioned. But really no, no other wins like worth mentioning um, outside of that. Um, at the time, there were like, uh, excuse me, no, 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 I'm thinking the 2016, the 97 team actually had number eight, Colorado, uh, Notre Dame on the schedule, as we mentioned, 15, Iowa, 15, Michigan State, number two, Penn State, number 23, Wisconsin. So I had my teams mixed up there. The 2016 didn't play many ranked teams. The 1997 team had a difficult path when you look at who it, who they had to get through. But <clears throat> if we beat Ohio State, and I think that possibly you have an argument that it's this team in the 1997 team, even though we wouldn't have the national championship. How do you feel about that? Man, this is so tough. I, I, I think the national championship has to be weighed here. And I hate that they got screwed by Scott Frost, just begging people for charity votes in the coaches poll. The fact that it was, Coach Osborne's last year, they got it, the coaches poll, so it was there for a split national title game. Um, no, I think this team has to win the national championship, at least make the playoff for me to like say they're on that 97 tier. Like You win the Big Ten. You, obviously, you beat Ohio State. You automatically jump the 2016 for me. But it's like you have to you have to make that playoff. You have to be in there in the national title discussion, at least be a contender in the playoff, unlike last year, when we just kind of got run off the field early by Georgia. So it takes that for me because I still just value the weight of that national championship. And if you think back to where it's been to 1948, only the 97 team rises above all else. And the fact that you have that national title there, it's like the ace in the hole. It's we beat everybody else. We lined them up. We knocked them all down. So if this team can go 12 and go 14 and 1, 15 and 0. It puts them in that conversation. I think with the longer road, it puts them at the top of the argument. Uh, great point in there. And I didn't articulate that correctly. I just kind of assumed something that I didn't say that if we beat Ohio State, <laughs> we're going to the playoff. So that would assume that we beat whatever trash team we get in the West, we go to the playoff. Uh, what I was arguing that even if we don't win the national championship th that year, this year, it's on par with the 97 year because the 97 year, like what it took to win a national championship versus what it takes to win it. Now it is so much more difficult, not just the added games that it takes that you have to win to get there. The big 10 championship, uh, the college football semifinal, but the fact that there's a lot better team. I think the, the talent is better distributed. I think that like this is getting into era comparison, but I think there's faster, bigger players. You can definitely just go back and compare that data one for one and see that. But also just Ohio State's like being at this period of dominance. So really, I guess the year to compare it to would be if we run the table this year, is it better than last year? Is would you would you have this year the undefeated regular season getting to the playoffs, or would it be last year because of what it meant to do it at home to get that monkey off your back? Oh man, that is like an apple and oranges to me because last year you have the ten years of just self doubt and program uncertainty of whether you can actually do it. Can we get there? It's like it's very tough. It's just, it's uh, to me, it's like comparing the Terminator and T2 because that's exactly what it feels like to me. We're like, both are excellent movies in their own way. 
and kind of veer off into different things. And this season, just having the unblemished record means so much and is so rare to do just 12 and 0. Like, I don't care who you played. You lined them up and you knocked them all down in a power five in the Big Ten Conference. And you can't help how the team showed up. You can't help other teams' health. You can't help how they prepared, anything like that. You beat all of them. And only one was within one score as of right now because of garbage time and a backup quarterback, ter- backup Terrapin quarterback. Like, Come on, man. This season is just spectacular. And it is so funny to me now how it just feels so routine. Like, huh, 11 or no next week. That'd be pretty nice. It feels so routine. And we're going to talk about that. But to close this exercise, we're going to go through this pretty quickly. We're going to go through every position group in some manner, way, shape, or form. And we're going to determine which team had the advantage. That's 97, 06, 2021, which we're going to add to this, and 2022. Uh, we're going to start at quarterback where I'm going to submit. I'm taking Chad Henney, the 2016. I can't wait to see how many people just hate this segment from the disrespect. We're going to unintentionally dish out, but, uh, yeah, we'll move quick. Chad Henney running back Mike Hart, Blake Corum, or who was it? Uh, Chris Howard. Um, are you taking the room or just the single back? Uh, Ooh, the room, the room. I like the room. Oh, then I'm th- then I'm taking this year because Donovan. Are, are we? Is twenty twenty one on the board though? Twenty twenty one's on the board. Then I'm taking twenty twenty one. Uh ninety seven had Anthony Thomas as a freshman. Keep that in mind. I'm taking twenty twenty one. I'm taking twenty twenty one. All right, wide <laughs> receiver core. Ninety seven had Ty Streets. Two thousand six Manningham and Braylon Edwards. oh six come on it's oh six let's move on tight ends uh if we were healthy this year that's a discussion that's that's a that's a very interesting one where do you feel on this one i'm leaning towards who was our tight end in 2006 97 97 had the leading receiver on the team and truman i think was his name I think Tyler Ecker would have been our tight end. So we're not taking 2006. We're not taking 1997. I think we're taking last year's room, healthy Eric all. Or I don't know if we get Eric all healthy this year, I'm taking this year's Schoonmaker, this year's all this year's Loveland. Yeah, but I think you got to factor in the health. So it's got to be last year. Although the, the 97 team had the leading receiver on the team was a tight end, but the depth after that guy drops off a little bit. So yeah, I'm going with uh, 2021 again. 2021. I like it. All right. Offensive line. Fascinating one. 2022. Oh, I think so. I really think so. 2021 is Joe Moore award winner. Obviously we don't need to rehash all that, but we both agree that this one's more athletic and just better overall. And like guys like El Hadi are coming in and just destroying people. Um, The 97 one though, in 2006, you get Jake long, dude. You want to talk? That's the most dominant oh. guy. That was the most dominant guy on that team. Oh yeah, and I'm not trying to like gloss over with my like decisiveness on my decision, but I'm just like, like all these teams have good offensive lines because that's what Michigan's backbone was, especially that 06 team and their versatility running and passing. But we're facing ten people, nine to ten people in the box routinely in 2022, the year of our Lord, and we are still averaging more rushing yards per game. 
All right, I'm with you. Moving over to the defense. Defensive line, uh, I'm taking 06. 06, 06. Glenn Steele at 97. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's 06. Lamar Woodley, like, you cannot leave that guy on the board. Glenn Steele is awesome, but give me Lamar Woodley and Allen Branch. It's it's the branch for me that pushes it over because last year you could say the Hutch Ojabo comp, but, like, the Allen Branch man pushes this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woodley Branch, and then like, yeah, yeah. That that was loaded, and then um, God, I'm forgetting the name of the other guy that we had lined up on the other side. But yeah, let's keep it moving. Uh, linebacker core, that's interesting. This might be '97, but like, here's the thing: you and I didn't watch the '97 team that closely. That's that's the big thing here. The big grain of salt is we were not evaluating the '97 team like we've evaluated teams pretty much like post '06. So it's very different. Um, I, I'm st- I'm leaning 06 here, maybe perhaps out of ignorance, but I would say it's between 90, uh, 97 and 06 for linebackers. Yeah, the only linebacker in the 97 team I remember is Donnie Jones, um, who had a pretty good year. I think he had quite a few sacks that year. Let me see. I think I have it here. Um, I think he had like six and a half sacks or something. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I think we got to go 2006, David Harris. Uh, 2006 defense was just otherworldly speed at every level, like not going to go this year, obviously, as well as they've started to play recently. So is that what you said? 2006? Sorry, I was Googling stats. <laughs> yeah, uh, for, yeah, for 2006 for linebackers uh, for secondary, though, I'm going 97 with a bullet because Charles Woodson <laughs> period. Bullet. The end. Yeah, the end of that. So like it's interesting because we took 97 for one thing for one category and some of that is like you mentioned and i i also discussed like we didn't watch 97 that closely we didn't cover it i was a but a child and you were like a baby so like that's that's not our era that's when i started watching but i was nine years old so i can't sit here and be like oh my god let me tell you about uh, patrick mccall on that 97 team we also only took 2022, I believe, for one category being the offensive line this year. So perhaps it's what it takes. It's more of the sum of its parts instead of the parts itself. Because the 06 team, as we said, had the most roster talent, but still couldn't get the job done. Well, we only were talking about 06, 97, and 2022 to begin. If we take 2021 out of it, do you take Mike Hart and the 06 offense in that room, or do you take this room? That's very tough because Donovan Edwards has been hurt so much this year. It really kind of like skews it a little bit more for me in this one because I believe who was Hart's backup in 06. Let me see. Kevin Grady. Brandon Miner was Grady, there. Uh, Brandon Miner was there. Yeah, he ran for 238. So he was, uh, yeah, he was the direct backup. So you had Brandon Miner, Kevin Grady. Uh, Mike Hart that year ran for 1,500 yards, 1,562. He had 14 touchdowns. That is pretty impressive, but uh, currently Blake Corum is sitting at 1,349 yards, 17 touchdowns. So, yeah, like you, this is unprecedented what's going on here. So, like, you can't not take Blake Corum in your running back room. No, I, I, I think you're with you there. So, the 2022 one gets a couple notches there, but again, still not nearly as many as 06. Did we say who we think wins on the field? Like you play it all out. Did we determine who we think gets it like this? That That's where it gets interesting. That's where I think 2022 might have a shot is if you just laid the balls out there and played them. 
Yeah, because this team is built just so uniquely about with pounding the football. Like, this, this, the speed was the strength of the 06 defense. They had Allen Branch in the interior, and they had really good pass rushers. It's like, could you overwhelm him with double teams on the inside running the football? Like, you're not going to throw towards Leon Hall or Woodson on the 97 team. You're going to avoid those. It's it's such a clash. And, dude, some of the 97 stats to me that you put in here are so baffling. Did you see how many fumbles they had that year? No, I did not. I mean, the, I'm sure I did. I went through all of this. The 97 team fumbled the ball 20 times and lost 12 of them. That's insane. Like, if Twitter existed during the 97 year, we would have been bemoaning this team. We're like, Ohio State's going to destroy us. Ohio, like six trips to the red zone for an entire season. We had five against Rutgers. Yes, exactly. So the point here is it's all about how you finish the year. That's what people remember. You can dive back into the numbers, but 12 and 0 is 12 and 0. 12 and 0 is 12 and 0, baby. That's a great segue. Let's look at where we stand in the college football playoff. Uh, We should be getting the rankings tonight, probably while we're recording. Those will come in. I don't expect anything to change too dramatically. I think it will be uh, the top four, at least as it was. Tennessee will remain at five. And where things stand right now, like TCU could drop this one. They've got to go to Baylor this week. That's certainly one. That's either this week or next week. I forget. I think it's this week. But we need USC to drop one, who now they're projecting to get in as a one-loss Pac-12 champion. But the Tennessee one, they are itching to get Tennessee into this thing. So what are your what's your stance on where we stand here? You said that there is a chance that we could lose to Ohio State and still get in. Give me your college football playoff ranking thoughts. Uh, So there's about nine teams right now that still have a claim. You mentioned the top five, and then outside of that, you have teams such as LSU, USC, Clemson, and you're going to drop down to North Carolina. Clemson, North Carolina, one of those teams will, I mean, will cannibalize itself because they will have to play. And LSU could be the first two-loss team to ever get in if they win the, if they run the table. They're already the SEC West champion, so if they win uh, the SEC championship, beat Georgia, um, then they could ju- they could get in with Georgia, and that could keep them out. There's just a very realistic scenario that there's two SEC teams and there's two Big Ten teams in here because the way the Pac-12, I feel like it's really going to eat itself where USC has to play UCLA and perhaps Oregon late in the year. A two-loss Pac-12 champion's not going to get in. Um, Clemson, people could have an argument for Clemson getting in, but they got their asses kicked by Notre Dame. So that one's going to hurt them if they win the ACC. So I really just see this, man. Like if Michigan-Ohio State game is close, I think it's going to be Georgia, winner of the game, uh, loser of the game, and then uh, the other pack – I'm sorry, the other SEC team. TCU is the only one that could really like throw a loop in this thing and make it interesting. So we need TCU to lose. Right. So teams that control their own destiny, the top four, uh, including TCU, 100% undefeated Big 12 champs getting in. Uh, Tennessee does not control their own destiny. LSU, I agree with you, controls their own destiny. If you're the SEC champ, they're going to find a way for you to get in. Alabama does not. USC does control their own destiny, I think, because I think that they would put a one-loss Pac-12 champion in, depending on what happened with TCU. Like, one-loss Pac-12 champion over... One loss, Michigan non-conference champion, best win, Penn State. It gets dicey. Like, you and I both think Michigan would annihilate USC, would annihilate Clemson. 
but they do still have a path to get in. Um, yeah, man, like the ones that we need to be rooting for is like Tennessee somehow losing, TCU losing. That really helps a lot, but it really all comes down to the Ohio State game as we thought that it would. I mean, there's not that much different about it. You'd like to come up with these scenarios to get in without it, but it was always going to come down to that. Yeah, like we can sit here and dance around certain things, and again, the rankings come out here in a few hours tonight, so there'll be some shakeup with Oregon losing and a couple other teams. And one thing we also need to root for is Penn State to keep climbing because they will. They just shut out Maryland, so that keeps help building the case. Um, but, man, it's it's so nice to be in the driver's seat, though, like being one of the few teams. You just listed how few teams control their own destiny, and Michigan is one of them. Like we're preparing for the nightmare scenario. Our happy dream scenario, a lot of teams don't share that luxury. It's like you take care of business this week, next week, and then you – you know, play whoever the West produces by maybe mistake or happens, <laughs> whoever has to win the West, and then you're in this thing. So uh, very exciting and uh, can't wait to be, you know, happy, pissed and see what the rankings give us tonight. Yeah, we've left the uh, Big Ten West out at room temperature. We're going to see what kind of bacteria has cultured over there, and that's whoever will play. Have you big, seen those standings? No team controls their own destiny in the Big Ten West. It's unbelievable, and you mentioned something, and I, that, that'll help us transition to our next topic, about we cannot possibly control the Big Ten being this bad. We were super stoked. We were looking at the schedule. You and I look at it a couple years out. When we looked at this schedule, we're like, finally, like an easy start to the season. That'll help us get there. We assumed that Iowa, Michigan State, somebody's going to be competent. Like we assume that maybe Maryland will get there. It is in no way our fault that the Big Ten, which has been consistently one of the better conferences, was trashed this year. And it's put us in this position where it's got to be Ohio State and an undefeated record or you're not getting in. It's in no way the fault of Michigan. I still think it was probably the right call to take a year of scheduling like down a peg to like give yourself those wins, especially since you're scheduling this thing so far out. And when you were scheduling these things, like we didn't know what the Jim Harbaugh era was going to be. That's how scheduling works. You're scheduling it for how it is right now, now how it's going to be in six years. So it's, it is a bummer that things weren't a little bit better and you would love like even like a middle of the road team to throw on there somewhere. Like instead of Hawaii, maybe we played Washington state. Like that would be better, but That's, it is what it is right this year, you know, but that, and, and you can't do anything about it. No, exactly. You only put the games on your schedule. So like Michigan has to continue to be like very dull with his dominance, like for Ohio state. And especially this week against Illinois, a team that was just ranked, but kind of dropped the ball last week against Purdue. Absolutely, man. And like, we were kind of talking about how that Nebraska game, we're going to look back on it and be like, yeah, I mean, that was the game. Uh, well, actually, I don't really remember much about that game. There might be a few of those this year, whereas last year, the Nebraska game, we will always remember because of how close it was and how we needed that Brad Hawkins strip in order to win that game. So these games might not stick in your memory. So what does that make you think about like how you're going to remember this season? Was it too dull for you? Like if we don't win the national championship, is this season just going to be kind of like forgotten for you? 
Hell no. I would take not being in a tight game with a three-loss team. Are you kidding me? Not needing like late stops against a terrible Rutgers team at home just to win when we couldn't run the ball over a piece of paper in that one? No. I will take bulldozing teams every day of the week and be like, yeah, you know what? It's fine. We won by 31 in the biggest underdog Cornhusker team in history. History. I will take the 400 rushing yards against Penn State and the domination any day of the week besides a close game against Rutgers. Let's go. This man <laughs> feasting on stew remembers a time where he fed on hardtack and leather and is like, no, 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 I remember a time like give me this stew, this boring, delicious, nourishing stew that is this season right now. I'm totally with you, man. It might not be as memorable game by game, but the Penn State game certainly sticks out. And uh, the Maryland game, like certain moments you're going to think back and be like, man, it was amazing. It'll probably be remembered more in totality, though. That is entirely possible just because of the lack of signature games the lack of like ranked games the lack of like kind of competent opponents like even sometimes like we took Tua Tagovailoa out of the Maryland game we took their backup quarterback Nebraska already came in with a backup we took their backup out we took their offensive coordinator out somehow (laughs) like we've not we've not even gotten a team's best effort this this year so I'm not bemoaning it this is the most champagne thing ever but like It has been like, wow, Michigan hasn't even really been challenged up to this point. Like, I wanted that quarterback to stay in to give us a challenge. Like, so that will be something that when we look back on this year, be like, yeah, Michigan didn't get a test until November 26th. And, you know, the result of that game is going to tell us a lot about how we feel in this retrospectively. So that's going to really just it's, – it's hard to feel it in the moment because you're not going to know until after the game with such the rise in the competition and the most important game of the season how you're going to view some of it. But it's like they beat Ohio State. It's like, you know what? I love the easy schedule. Feed it to me every year. But if you lose, it's like, all right, we got to start scheduling some harder teams to really get in shape. But um, as far as now, I'll take remembering it in totality because it's been a hell of a ride. I'm never going to complain about being 10-0 and 0, talking about Illinois. Uh, speaking of great transitions and speaking of feeding of people, it's Brett Bielma <laughs> week and you and I are as enthused as we could be Brett Bielma, who, even though things have maybe gone a little bit South with, uh, Purdue losses and Michigan state losses recently, still a good year for Illinois, given that they were maybe expected to win seven games total. Uh, they could still no, they don't control their destiny either. You're absolutely right. They, nobody could, because I think Iowa controls their destiny above Illinois. But yeah, Illinois needs some things to happen uh, in order to get in sitting here at seven in three. Look, Brett Bielman knows more about gap penetration or searing a good brisket. I don't know. Like, where do you stand on it? Is he is he better on the grill or better as a head coach? Because he's elite at both. <laughs> Loki, I love Brett Bielema and all the jokes we make about him being the rib master because we know he is. Like this man just knows how to season a hunk of beef. Like he knows his way around the meat stick. So no, Brett Bielema is fantastic. And I, I what he's done in Illinois this year is honestly like it, it takes me back. Like I'm like, I can't believe the record because we talk about Illinois now as like a competent foe, someone you really have to like a hurdle you have to get over. And in previous years, Lovey Smith had the one six and six year, and it felt like they won the Super Bowl. Like now it's just like, all right, Illinois is back. Brett Bielema's doing his thing. They're playing physical kind of ball, so it's gonna be a fun test. 
it is going to be a fun test, and some of the luster is lost. Like if they would have just handled business against Michigan State and Purdue, we're looking at exactly what we need, exactly what we were just bemoaning, bemoaning in the previous segment, like that other ranked win against a really good team. But that was asking too much of Illinois. Like they weren't supposed to be as good as they were. Like the Ribmaster, while extremely competent, is not like a playoff competitor right now like that's not his program right now I mean he's got a walk-in freezer the size of Denny's and he keeps a butcher on his staff but this is Illinois still he's done a tremendous job he's got Chase Brown as what is he the leading rusher he's ahead of Corum in yardage but well behind him in touchdowns but I mean you get that you get a team that coming into uh, Michigan State had the number one defense in the country moniker. We have taken that over, luckily. So, I mean, it was building towards something great. It's lost some luster, but I still think this is a game you can't sleepwalk through. You absolutely cannot sleepwalk through this. No, Corum is 93 yards behind Chase Brown. Corum is currently third. A UAB back splits the two of them. So that's a guy to watch out for. So this is a huge game for Michigan, for the Heisman Trophy push for Blake Corum. The defense, as we talked about earlier, Mike Morris said, they could really help Corum out and give him a push if they limit Chase Brown and then Corum has a big game. It kind of feels like win one for Corum in this one. Like there's your rallying cry to keep your focus, not get caught in the trap game and not get caught looking ahead to Columbus because Illinois is a very much punch you in the mouth, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of team on both sides of the football. Look, Brett Bielma coach is a quality team and he knows how to fix a snowblower and he could definitely lend you a reciprocating saw. He also <laughs> has coached the teams. I, just, I didn't even do any prep work for Illinois. I just wrote 30 <laughs> Brett Bielma jokes. Uh, but if their secondary was, if there's, I can't, if their secondary was healthy, like I do like their secondary a lot. Sidney Brown, he's got four picks on the air. He is healthy, but everybody else is out. Like they have a ton of injuries. So like I kind of, once again, like I wanted to get Illinois best shot. You don't really get anybody's best shot in November. Everybody's missing somebody. Uh, Illinois is really, really beat up in this. And that's something to keep an eye on. We're beat up too. And I don't really know who's going to play. How would you approach this? If you were Jim Harbaugh, would you be like, we've got to win this all hands on deck, or would you be a little bit cautious? I'd be a little bit cautious. Uh, Illinois, as you alluded to leads the country or tied with WKU for interceptions of 17 on the year. Uh, very feast or famine on the back end there. The defensive front is stout, uh, in the red zone. They struggle offensively. I believe they're in the hundreds with their ranking. So they're really struggling to convert points at times. If you take away the run and limit chase Brown, they become very one dimensional and they're relying on Tommy DeVito to make the plays and not the uh, villain from Goodfellas. So it's just, it's such a tall task for them coming into this already. And I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be aware of that. So I think you're going to have some guys return. You're going to see Schoonmaker this week, probably. You're going to see maybe Trevor Keegan. El Hadi's played exceptionally well at left guard. So you might just keep rolling with him. But Donovan Edwards, that's one you might hold out to Ohio State, maybe get him a touch here and there. But I think Michigan will just play this one pretty close to the chest, not put a lot out there. It could be a very much like a like a 24 to 6 type of just grinding game, or even similar to last week where you get ahead, you stay ahead, and you try to stay as healthy as possible. Yeah, Tommy DeVito, like great name, all time name there. I mean, we're big 
Goodfellas people here. I think we both got that movie in our top 20. Uh, he's pretty efficient, man. I mean, he's thrown for what? 2000 yards, 15 touchdowns to three interceptions. I mean, he's kind I mean, he's above JJ in a lot of categories except for completion percentage. So, I mean, this guy can push the ball down the field, but he doesn't really push it deep down the field. It's going to be more intermediate. Uh, Chase Brown is pretty effective as a wide receiving threat. So that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, they're going to live and die by that combination. It's got to be DeVito, Chase Brown, and like they like to get the ball to their tight ends. It's a typical Big Ten team. I mean, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I mean, Brett Bielma made his his way in the Big Ten. I mean, he is the original Big Ten coach. He is as Big Ten as ribs and and burgers at, at a cookout is. I mean, he's drank more bush light beers than there are blades of grass in France. I mean, he, he's been in these types of games. So, like, he can keep you close in a game like this if you're not firing on all cylinders. Very much so. And I think Tommy DeVito's success as a passer is almost like a one-to-one comparison last year of Peyton Thorne at Michigan State, who broke the single-season touchdown records for the Spartans. It was all predicated off of the run game. So it's like they're going to devote so much to Chase Brown, all your resources, and then he's going to take advantage. And the one thing he's been doing a great job of is not turning the ball over. I mean, last week was his first interception since early September. So he's done a great job protecting the football and not screwing things up. This team is built like it's built like the Wisconsin of old, as you alluded to with Bielema, but it's built like Iowa last year. It's exactly what it's like, the way they're turning people over in the secondary, the way they're running the football, the way the quarterback is playing smarter. It's built just like that Iowa team last year. But if you can eliminate certain things, make them one-dimensional, take care of the football, I really don't think Michigan will have any problems dispatching the Illini. Really glad this one is at home. I would not want to go to Illinois. Not that that's some like Viper pit or anything, <laughs> but just it, no. I look, look. Once the smell of Bielma's ribs and his brisket get in the air, those, those fans get worked into a frenzy. They're like, oh boy, what's he got going in there? Uh, but I'm really happy that it's home because. It, the schedule just works out really well that like the one test that we got to do is at Ohio state, like these ones that could be considered trap games, you put them at home and it can't be a trap game. Look at Jim Harbaugh's record at home. So you, you can talk yourself into a lot. Like that's kind of what we do in these pregame preps. Like how do I talk myself into Illinois winning this? And we've kind of already discussed it. It's gotta be through chase Brown establishing something. They need to beat us in, what we do, which is like time of possession, running the football, just like keeping possession of the ball and not turning it over. They're going to try and win the same way we do. We're just better at it than they are. Exactly. Michigan is third in the country in time of possession. Illinois is sixth. You look at a lot of things, the way they're built. Jim Harbaugh, as you said, does not lose at home to teams outside of rivals when fans are in attendance. So it's going to be just such a tall order. It's senior day. Uh, outside of Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh has never had uh, a senior class leave on a loss. Like, you have to go back to 2014. The Maryland loss is the last time seniors left before the trip to Columbus. So, very rare, all things considered. Uh, they're coming in injured. Chase Brown is still a game-time decision to play. So, he's not even coming in at full strength. And again, win one for quorum. I'm with you, man. Like, and I, I do expect Illinois to be fully prepared for this one. I think that they will be stout against the run. Like if Corum goes nuts in this one, that's absolutely 
like a that that's Heisman punctuation right there. But I mean, Bill me be he'll be ready, man. I mean, he's already begun smoking his Christmas ham, and it's November fifteenth. You think he's not ready for the run? He's ready. So the whole goal in this game is to slow cook the Illini for three hours in Ann Arbor. That's exactly the goal here. And where are you at with like preserving health of Corum here? Like I, I know we want to win one for Corum here, but I'm also of two minds in like I'm just getting out of this with like a 17 to 10 win and everybody stays healthy is going to feel so amazing to me. I, it's all about next week for me. I mean, we're not going to talk about next week, but because this is the penultimate, like, yeah, we need to talk about it a little bit. Like we got to stay healthy for next week. Keep JJ healthy. Oh my God. Keep JJ healthy. It's, it is. This is a game. Like I, I don't want 17, 10. Like I do. Cause I mean, that means Corm's playing the whole time. That's why this, it's, we'll go ahead and jump into keys to the game here. I think you have to get out fast. I think you got to put them in danger early, 14 to nothing, and then make them play from behind and throw the ball. And then like, if you can get up 17 to, or 21 nothing, and then it's, it's C.J. Stokes time. It's you put Stokes in. You move a lineman here, you move him in. You move this player in, you move this player in. You can't play not to lose, but also playing not to lose is sure as shit a better way than playing to lose. So I wouldn't mind it if we coasted down the backstretch and just take this thing home with – uh, as many reserves as possible. I think you do the exact same game plan that you had against Nebraska, where they did not come out and play not to lose. They came out and they're like, let's try and get something established down the field. That's going to do a lot of things for us. If we can get one of these, it's going to open up our running game. So you still need to continue to do that. So I would do exactly what you did. I would come right out and be like, you know what? Like, we're still going to try and push the ball down the field. I trust JJ McCarthy not to throw one that's in danger. Like you can have your criticisms of his deep balls this year. None of them have been in danger of being intercepted. So that's something worth noting, you know, like he's like, all right, it's either going to be my guy or it's going to be nobody. Like, that's awesome. Like this is a guy that's not going to turn the ball over. So take those shots. And if we can connect on just one or two of those, it's going to open things up. And I fully agree with you. If we can get up 14, nothing, it's going to be so difficult for them. And then we can start doing some other things. You can work in Tavi Dunlap. You can work Coram in rather than having to rely on him. And you can keep him in the 15 carries because you're up 14, nothing with two of those deep shots. That's why those deep shots, like one of the million other reasons why those are great is it's going to lessen your reliance on Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And in a game like this, where health is on everybody's mind that, well, that and the weather, you need to keep them healthy. So like, I'm, I'm going to double down. I said it last week before the game, even though it didn't happen, but they did take those shots. I was like, they're going to take shots. I think they're going to do it again. I think there will be several shots taken in this. So, um, all right, sir, let's go ahead and get your players of the game and your prediction. Uh, yeah, I agree with you in full. The game plan needs to be just similar to Nebraska. Just dull dominance. I am just fine with that. Uh, players of the game, I'm going to go with uh, senior Olu Oluwatimi and Blake Corum. It's, uh, he's only been at Michigan for a year, but he's really just – just really just made himself a Wolverine for life. The way he's like, we've accepted him. He's accepted the culture in Michigan. He's voted an alternate captain, only been there for a few months when he'd done so. Um, he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he was very impacted by the shootings at Virginia this week. Remember, he transferred from there to Michigan, so he probably knew some of those players. So that's going to be on his mind to come out here and make a statement. And I think Coram, this could be like 
this is a head-to-head Heisman clash, like with running back. Do you want to be the best running back in the country, or do you want to be the other guy? That's going to be on his mind in this one. So I think he's going to be running just extra hard in this one. So give me those two offensively. Defensively, this is your run-stuffer game. This starts again right in the middle. Mozzie Smith could be his last game in the big house. Going to be him. Going to be a big Junior Colson game as well, filling the gaps. Like It feels kind of chalky going with the two main guys, but in a styles clash where it's like, Iron beating iron just flat out in the middle of the field. You gotta go with these, you gotta go with these four players. So I think Michigan's gonna get it done. It's gonna be dull. It's gonna be a slug. I think Michigan's gonna take this one 27 to 3. I like it, sir. I like it. Yeah, and I and I like a lot of what you had to say in there as well. And I see the game very similarly to you. And certainly our thoughts go out to all of the families of those Virginia players that were impacted by that. That was a terrible story. So I do have to push back a little bit because we kind of made a rule a few weeks back. And I thought we were adhering to this, that uh, it's a little boring for us because the season's already been boring. We can't just be like, (laughs) yeah, it's going to be Coram Olu and Mozzie Smith. Like the season can be boring. And that is for sure what's going to happen in the game. But we as podcasters need to rise above that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give my takes, and then I'm going to need at least one non-quorum Olu Mozzie pick from you. Um, So for me, I see it very similarly, though. I think that this is a game, as much as you would love to play to dominate and get all those style points, it's so much more important to keep everybody healthy and just come out of there with the win. But the Corum Heisman push is certainly going to be on everyone's mind. You already heard the Mike Morris quote from it. So that will likely be the strategy early on. And if you can get him a few early ones to break him loose early on and get up 14 nothing just using Blake Corum, that's great. So they're going to try that out early on. Like they will try to probe with that running game, see if they can break one loose. Uh, the play action pass game could help with that. So that's why I still think those shots are going to be critical. Uh, getting after Tommy DeVito, hitting him a couple times. We've taken several quarterbacks out of games this year. Mike Morris is a tough guy to get hit by, as is Mozzie Smith. In fact, maybe the the worst one-two combo outside of what Clemson's going on, got going on uh, as far as defensive linemen that could hit you consecutively. So yeah, Tommy DeVito is going to be in for a rough day. Got to get after him, and Chase Brown's already shaken up. So it's hard for me to look at this and be like, yeah, Illinois got what it takes to go into Michigan and pull the upset. Don't quite see that. I think it could get a little bit dicey, just like Rutgers was in the first half. That would not surprise me too much. But at the end of the day, you're going to bet against Michigan in the second half here. Um, you know, I love Brett Bielma like Brett Bielma loves smoked meats, but not when it, not when we're playing them, you know, it's fun to talk about them. It's fun to discuss, um, you know, the amount of meat that that man likes likely consumes to produce what happens to be the greatest beer belly of all time. But this is going to come down to the players on the field and they don't got it. So I've got this one 27 to 10. I think that it's, it's just going to be second half defense and I'm going to be a little bit bolder than you. I'm going to ride my prediction from last week. Um, there's going to be a deep ball connection. Except this week, I'm going Roman Wilson. And on defense, uh, you think I'm going against Makari Page? <laughs> I guess that's just <laughs> as boring for me to just call, <laughs> keep calling Makari Page. So let me, uh, Jamon Green. Let me go with Jamon Green in this one. I like that. And I'll revise a couple of mine. I'll say, um, give me, 
We saw a little bit of it. We gave an honorary one. Let's see a CJ Stokes actual player of the game. Like if if CJ Stokes is a player of the game, that be should awesome. be should mean good things. And uh, defensively, give me RJ Moten, somebody that needs a good game. RJ Moten was really good at the beginning of the year. Ever since he was injured in the middle, he's kind of struggled a little bit. Really in, in safety help, he's still been a reliable, a reliable like uh, tackler in the open field. So I think RJ Moten, like instead of just banking on like DJ Turner to finally like find like who he was last year and regain his talent, give me RJ Moten. I think he can bounce back in this one. Now, those are picks befitting of a man of your station. I, I appreciate that. That was well done, sir. Uh, that's pretty much all we got, man. This is outstanding. We've got Michigan basketball going. Michigan football is undefeated, likely to go 11-0. and Is this the greatest particular moment we've been podcasting, or does that still go to post-Ohio State last year? Oh, it's it's still post-Ohio State last year, but this year has not reached its peak yet. I do believe that, but um, yeah, post-Ohio State last year was just an hour and a half of you and I crying and like gushing for like just about the game, the season, life, friendship, everything. It means something to me, man. It means something <laughs> to me. Important win that one was, and uh, very fortunate that you'll be making the trek northward for the Michigan-Ohio State game, so we can't quite look forward to it yet. We can't talk about that game. I mean, that's next week, which we always do that one big, so I'm looking forward to that, but also glad that we'll be in a safe space. You and I should be together for this one. Makes sense. I'm looking forward to it. It's taken everything in my power not to curse about how excited I'm getting for the game of the century. Yeah. Next week is going to be incredible in terms of content, everything else surrounding it. Try not to get too far ahead of myself. We can look a little bit ahead because we're not on the team, but it's going to be, could be, I mean, a week to remember three Michigan teams since 1975 has started off 10 and 0 97, 2006, 2022. That's not nothing. That is not nothing. You're going back a ways and you're in rarefied air. And so much of this rivalry and so much of the Michigan lore is built around that history. And like, that's what drew me to the program. So when you start mentioning our current accolades back with the stuff that my dad talked about and his dad talked about, it really makes you feel like you're a part of something special. So like, yes, absolutely. Take a moment, breathe it in the fact that we're at where we're at, but don't let it be lost on you that it just doesn't happen like this very often. You can go back decades and a lot of people do go decades without it. So this is awesome, man. Glad we are here. Glad to be with you while we're covering this. And uh, next week, we can't prognosticate it. We got to be Illinois first. But if we take care of business, this is going to be a huge podcast week. We're going to do it big. Uh, might bring on some special guests. We've had some people that we've kind of been chatting with. Might do some type of roundtable. It'll depend on what happens against Illinois. But uh, we will not let you down for that one. Uh, anything else from you, sir, before we close out? Remember what Jim Harbaugh said after the Ohio State game last year. It feels like the beginning. 
Oh, man, that's that reverberates through the spine. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. And we'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Thank you.